0: We're going to start today's session with a conversation with Hamiz Alwan, founder and partner at Plutus 21 Capital. Hamiz, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So Hamiz, let's uh, get acquainted and uh, let's introduce you to our audience. Tell us a bit about your background as well as about Plutus 21 Capital This is the first time we have you here
1: yeah uh you know like i said we're very thankful for the opportunity to be here and learn from you and maybe give you some insight into our world as well um i grew up and was born in karachi pakistan spent my entire life there and uh, moved to the us to go to school and uh, i guess i never left Um, and uh, i've been involved in uh, a few different entrepreneurial ventures before but Uh, Plutus was my first uh, entrepreneurial venture in the investment space. Uh, Plutus is a alternative asset manager, um, and we focus uh, very heavily today on blockchain uh, investments. Um, And uh, the particular focus for us has been uh, infrastructure within blockchain. So the protocols, the marketplaces, the, the platforms that make this entire ecosystem run. We try to make Mm -hmm. sense of those and and invest in those.
0: And uh, where are you operating out of, Hamir?
1: Yeah, so we're based in Dallas, Texas.
0: In Dallas, Texas, okay. And uh, what is the scope of Plutus's investment from a geographical standpoint?
1: So one of the great things about blockchain is that since the beginning, it's been a pretty global um, movement and like uh, a global network of, opportunities and entrepreneurs and and people that are building stuff here so there really isn't a center of blockchain like maybe you might have for you know SaaS companies or fintech companies it's always been a very global thing and so our investments have no real borders some of them don't even have headquarters right like they they're just like such a unique uh uh, you know way of organizing people around a problem that some of them don't have companies or CEOs at all, and so um, we look for problems that um, need in, like immediate solving. And a lot of times, those problems are outside the U.S. A lot of the financial infrastructure issues and you know governance issues are outside the U.S. And so naturally, the user base that we look look at is usually outside the U.S., but the companies mm-hmm. really are you know global in nature.
0: And what uh, structurally, uh, what is the structure of Flutus? Is that structured as a regular venture fund or, or is there some innovation that you're doing with the fund structure as well?
1: Yeah, so we're, we're innovating in that uh, structure as well. We're actually an open-ended fund. Um, and that's possible because we're in blockchain markets and we invest in, largely we invest in very liquid assets. And so one of the interesting things about blockchain based assets, and blockchain based ventures is that a lot of the assets in this space are liquid um, and they're not the traditional private equity that you would uh, buy in these early stage companies. And so because we have uh, liquidity on our end, we can actually do venture like investing, like early stage investing, but do it with liquidity. And so that's why we're able to have an open ended structure for most of our vehicles We do invest from time to time in traditional private equity. uh, These companies and those are then structured mostly as, you know, separate uh, special purpose vehicles that are closed-ended. But for most of our investments, we have an open-ended structure. And it kind of looks like a marriage between a hedge fund and a venture fund. You have the liquidity of a hedge fund, but you're investing as a venture investor would.
0: All right so um let's do some case studies maybe that would be the best way for us to understand uh, how you invest how you structure and so forth so pick you know one or two of your investments and walk us through what they do you know and how you have invested in those companies what is the structure what is the denomination and so forth and i will ask you more questions as i learn more from you
1: sure absolutely so One of the things that people, I think, misunderstand about blockchains is that uh, the only disruption happening in blockchains is how they're going to disrupt business models. So they're going to come in Mm -hmm. and give, you know, maybe Bank of America a run for their money. Um, That's just one part of the disruption. There's, In my view, there's two separate pieces of the disruption here. One is the disruption in the business model. The second is the disruption in how capital is being formed. So a lot of these companies are actually not going down the traditional path of fundraising. They're not going and raising capital from VCs or angel investors, but they're actually doing, um, they're they're either pre-selling their service and raising capital that way, or they're raising money through essentially like loyalty programs. So some of them look like a loyalty program, some of them might look like an equity, Some of them look like commodities that can be used in the ecosystem and they're financing their businesses like that. And so it is a little bit more difficult to understand why these uh, different assets would have value, these digital assets would have value, but essentially there's a new part of the capital stack. You traditionally had debt and equity, now you have debt, equity, and then digital assets. It's like a whole new piece of how these companies are uh, raising capital and so we have to then think about it from that perspective like apply a lot of the things that we've learned from traditional investing but then understand that we're in a new you know world of investing and so one example which i'm sure a lot of people will be aware of in this call is uh, the ethereum network so the ethereum network is essentially a plug-and-play blockchain solution so if you would like to build a blockchain startup you don't have to go and necessarily build a blockchain yourself. You can just plug in to the Ethereum network that already has that infrastructure, the security, you know, the incentives already figured out and you are just using it as if you would have used the internet to build Facebook, right? Like Facebook didn't create the internet, they just kind of plugged in on top of it. So it's similar to that. Ethereum is sort of a plug and play blockchain solution and one of the biggest out there. Um, now, in order for anybody to use the Ethereum network, they have to pay a certain fee to the network to process their transactions. That fee has to be paid in its native digital asset, which is Ether, e- uh, ETH, which is also the second largest digital asset in the world. And so, one of the ways that you could invest in the growth of the Ethereum network as more people use it as a plug and play solution one of the ways to invest in that growth would be to actually buy ether. And uh, if you buy ether, you're essentially buying the fuel that all of the cars in the future will need. And you're holding on to this limited amount of fuel today. And that's what gives it value because if these cars become popular and everybody in the world wants to use these cars, they're going to need the fuel to run them. And so you're essentially owning the fuel and that's how you express your opinion on the growth of the Ethereum network.
0: So in terms of your investments, are you investing in only Ethereum-based businesses?
1: Um, no. So Ethereum, uh, we, we invest across the board, but like I said, we focus on infrastructure. So instead of picking individual applications of the technology, right, like instead of thinking okay, blockchains are going to be used for money transfers or blockchain as a currency or supply chain solution. Instead of picking individual applications, what we like to do is we like to pick the platforms that all the applications are being built on. And that way you're essentially, if you think about it from this way, you're sort of investing in the app store instead of the applications themselves. And when you invest in the app store, you kind of get really broad exposure to all of the applications out there. And you might have thousands and thousands of applications that people build and most of them won't work, but as long as they're using the platform, uh, the app store to do their transactions, like you have exposure to the growth of those applications. So it's sort of like a layer one investment strategy instead of the layers that get built on top of it. So we like to invest in those layer one and like infrastructure plays because it gives us really broad exposure without us having to pick the winners and the individual applications.
0: Great. So now, take us into examples of infrastructure layer investments that you have made, one or two, and talk us through what they do and, and what is the model.
1: Yeah, so we really uh, like investing in um, one of the infrastructure plays that's really uh, necessary uh, is a marketplace. So there should be a marketplace for people to buy and sell these digital assets and that's infrastructure right like it allows for this ecosystem to run and so we really like that business model because one of the great things about uh, marketplaces is that they make money in both good markets and bad markets right because they take a small fee off of every transaction and so as long as there's an active market and one thing we can all get any room to agree on is that the blockchain markets are active, right? Like they're volatile. Everybody knows that. Um, and there's mm-hmm. business models out there, particularly the infrastructure ones that benefit from the volatility, right? So the more volatility there is, mm-hmm. the more transactions they, they process. And so one example of a company that, um, it's really not a company, it's, it's called Uniswap. And uh, this is a protocol uh, without necessarily a ceo or a company and what they figured out was um why do we need this entire like um the new york stock exchange and its infrastructure behind it when all the new york stock exchange and their brokers are doing is matching a group of buyers with a group of sellers right like that's all that really is happening there right so why do we like
0: new so york stock exchange is marketplace
1: yes. Yeah. yeah it's just a marketplace right like why do we need all of those people and all of those brokers and market makers to be involved why can't we just teach that to a computer why can't we just say hey computer program when there's a buyer find a seller and match the two and get it done why do we need to have these entire like organizations and businesses that take a cut off of all of those fees and so what they did was they taught that concept to a computer program that was built on Ethereum. It's called Uniswap. And Uniswap today is trading a billion dollars or more assets without any people involved or any companies involved at all. You're able to essentially mm-hmm. go peer to peer. So if you want to sell an asset and I want to buy it, we can just do that directly. There isn't a need for a broker and a clearinghouse and a, a you know and a bank to be involved in that. It's just you and me going directly with each other. So we like those type of plays where they're essentially disintermediating entire businesses by teaching that business to a piece of software. And the software is infinitely scalable, right? So the cost of running that software for an entire year might be the cost of a few employees at JP Morgan or something, right? Like it's just so much more efficient and cheaper to run it that we believe over time, programs like Uniswap are really going to give traditional businesses a run for their money, and that's why we want to invest in them.
0: And how do you, so now explain the structure in one of these cases, when you are investing as Plutus 21, what is the structure of that investment?
1: Yeah, so Uniswap's, uh, in Uniswap's example, um, there's a token called Uni, which is the governance token for the protocol. And so mm-hmm. like how how does a company that doesn't have a CEO make decisions? Well it's actually the community that makes the decision and they vote on that decision using their token. so their token gives them a voting right essentially on the protocol mm-hmm. um, and that is what um, that is the asset that we invest in Now uh, investing in that yeah. asset uh, gives us voting rights today, but we believe in the future that will give us, a piece of their cash flows as well, um, or some connection to their cash flow somehow. Uh, But today it really is a governance token, so it gives us a voting right in the system. Um, And some of them are structured like that, some of them look like governance tokens, and then some of them, like I said, look like commodities or maybe look like um, pre-sale of a service. Um, But that's how you What
0: kind of denominations are we talking to buy uh, into this exchange with the governance token how much money are you putting in
1: um so we would take um, our investments are based off of the adoption numbers so the the more there's adoption the bigger the the positions become um if there's an established name like ethereum or bitcoin with millions of users um that can be a very significant position for us you know 10 percent or more of the fund And so that could be $10 million or more. Uh, But then we also want to learn about smaller protocols that are doing something innovative. So we might only put a quarter of a percent of the fund. That might be 25 or $50,000 so that we can watch the development of that protocol closely um, and and keep up with them. So check sizes, I guess range from, we're not a traditional VC, so I don't really like to call them check sizes, but we range from like $25,000 $25,000 on the low end all the way up to, mm-hmm. I think the biggest position we have might be more than $15 million.
0: And how big is the fund?
1: The fund is about $100 million. We have a few different funds. If you put them together, they're about $100
0: million. Asset under management is $100 million. And um, so so let's say you have this kind of government governance right in a particular community what is the progression of your investment how do you how does that play out and and maybe it hasn't played out fully yet for you but you have a theory on how this is going to play out and how you achieve liquidity and returns on investment so explain that model a bit more
1: yeah so the model really has been flipped on its head right because um the asset is liquid every day and i have a price for it every day and i have liquidity for it every day so I could sell my entire position today and I could buy it back mm-hmm. tomorrow, right? So it's really like very different than venture investing, um, but our usual timeframe is about three to five years because that's how long we believe it takes to get from our 10,000 users, which is where we take a significant position all the way to a mm-hmm. million users or more. And it will be at that million user mark where we will start to think about, okay, this has ran the cycle of our investment thesis, and that's when we would start to take, you know, money off the table. Um, we found that it's much easier to figure out who's going to get a million users when they already have 10,000 instead of when they have zero users. So we're not the sure. early early stage investors. Like We usually try to watch them closely up to that $10,000 mark, the 10,000 user mark, and then at 10,000 users, we have a lot of conviction, and we we take positions in size. Um, so adoption really is the number one factor for us as we invest. Um, because one of the things to understand about the blockchain space, and obviously like anything I talk about is not really investment advice. Like I'm not, um, I'm not an expert on any of these things. I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. Um, but the one of the things to understand is that all of the software in the blockchain space, most of the software in the blockchain space is open source. So you can see it, and I can see it, and you can copy it, and you can create your own version of the same thing. So the way that you protect your business is not by having the best software. The way you protect your business is by having the most network effects. So the, the most durable competitive advantage in an open source environment are network effects. Because even, even in Uber's example, Uber's application can be replicated. But Uber's users and drivers are very difficult to replicate. That's what gives Uber value. So the same thing is true here, where the software is actually open source and anybody can copy it. So the only reason that one network survives and the other one fails is that they had the users and the adoption numbers, that Mm -hmm. even though their network could be copied, their software could be copied, you couldn't copy their user base. And that's what gave them value over time. That's why adoption is so important to us is because we feel that's the really the only durable competitive advantage.:
0: So um, I want to probe that point a little bit. We have done a lot with two-sided marketplaces in our community. We see two-sided marketplaces all the time. We have lots of case studies. We have courses, of, you know curriculum material on it. And uh, we see a lot of entrepreneurs trying to build two-sided marketplaces. Um, As you rightly said, it's much more difficult to go from zero to 10,000 than to go from 10,000 to a million when the network effect starts to kick in gear in two-sided marketplaces. And that's not just true in blockchain. That's true in two-sided marketplaces in general. So um, what have you learned to go from zero to 10,000 what are people doing that you have seen is working?
1: Yeah, and this might sound like um, sort of like soft advice, not something that is like really actionable, but what I've seen consistently with the ones that have achieved that is that they're extremely community focused. So one of the reasons that um, blockchain networks have grown so much without really like like Bitcoin doesn't have a CEO, or it doesn't have a marketing budget, right? Like why has right. it become a trillion dollar asset? It's because of the community. There's like this community of people and like this volunteer like firefighting force or whatever you wanna call it, that's like always out there mm-hmm. and like believes in the stuff like so dearly that-
0: energy within the community that drives this momentum.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so from day one, um, the companies that we've seen, um, really be successful are the ones that are community focused. The CEOs aren't just talking to investors all the time. The CEOs have a weekly uh, ask me anything. These are CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies. And on every Friday, you can jump on their Twitter and ask them anything you like. Whether you're a $10 user or a million dollar user, it doesn't matter, right? And they have this like community, the communities that are being built on Discord and Twitter and like non-traditional platforms like that, where I think a lot of early stage CEOs are so focused on the product um, and so focused on the fundraising that the only interaction they have with the customers is through like periodic surveys, but they don't build like this rapport with their customers. Like they don't build Mm -hmm. a rapport with their suppliers and don't talk to them on a daily basis. Like if you look at uh, a CEO schedule, right? The traditional startup schedule, just customers are not on it on a regular basis, right? It's <laughs> usually the team. This is and the point
0: and... that we are driving home all the time: is that customer matters a lot more than investors. Do not chase customers; uh, investors chase customers. Instead, the better use of your time.
1: Yeah, people uh... will even spend time like doing competitor research in their daily tasks, but they will not spend time speaking to at least one customer every day, or a bunch of customers every day. And we've seen this in Amazon's example as well, right? Like whether it's true or not, like Jeff Bezos has always said, I'm customer focused, right? Like I don't care about the short-term returns for investors, I'm customer focused, I'm obsessive about that. And so the ones that I've seen be the most successful are the ones who spend more time with customers than they do with any other stakeholder. And those are the ones that are really solving problems and really have the empathy that you need to build great software. Software, great software comes from a place of empathy. That's the first place that great software comes from. And so, the people that have built time in their day to improve their empathy for the user are the ones that are successful. I
0: mean, um could you talk about what, kind, you're in, investing in that layer one, the infrastructure layer, What's happening above that layer? What kinds of applications, what kinds of communities, what kinds of marketplaces are being built on top of your infrastructure layer companies?
1: Yeah, it's like such an incredible pace of innovation that if you if you spend um, a few years on it, like the way that I have, you're still going to feel like you're a beginner because there's just so much going on. I'm sure you've heard of NFTs by now. I'm sure, sure you've heard of DeFi, you know, decentralized finance. Like Those are just like two of the hundreds of things that are happening in this space. Uh, but those have caught people's attention, right? And one of the important things about NFTs is that two things. So one is today, NFTs are focused on collectibles and, you know, art pieces and things like that. But an NFT is just like a, it's like a platform. So it's sort of like the internet and entrepreneurs from around the world, are gonna build all kinds of applications on top of it that we can't even imagine today. So that's one. Nice. Thing. And it's a, it's a theme that's here to stay. The second thing- are you invested
0: also, in an NFT platform?
1: Yeah, so we, we do have investments in NFT platforms that we're not disclosing right now because we're just building them out. Uh, but we are actively looking at that theme and we have been for the last three years we didn't even call it NFTs three years ago, but we liked that theme, where there were digital, there was digital scarcity in collectibles. Um, the 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 thing, the other thing about NFTs is that most NFTs are going to be worthless. There's a lot of hype and mania in this space, and somebody is going to be left holding the bag, right? And there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of that happening. But what's important is that as Celebrities and people that have influence get involved in the space. Like Mike Tyson sold an NFT for I think three hundred thousand dollars the other day, for a weekend with him, right? Like he sold an NFT. What's important with that is, all these people that are, you know, um, that are connected to those influencers, are going to come into the blockchain space because Mike Tyson is doing an NFT, right? And most of them are going to test it out, experiment with it. And most of them are going to leave, but some of them are going to stay for the technology. They kind of came in for the hype, but they're going to stay for the technology. And so the way that you go mainstream is you have these like, um, you know, media grabbing headlines, and those bring a lot of people in the space and most of them leave, but some of them stay. And that's how you get the mainstream adoption because the fans of, you know, Taylor Swift or The Rock that have never thought about blockchain beyond a currency. Are now going to see it in a different light and some of them are going to love the experience and they're going to stay in the ecosystem forever so that's how you're going to slowly go mainstream you need these nft manias and you know DeFi manias to happen to bring the masses into the blockchain sphere
0: so hamid i want to comment on that actually i want to use a different example that i've been kind of following in the nft uh, hype cycle let's call it um, is the example of Damien Hurst. Have you seen that Damien Hurst said that he was going to? He was, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Damien Hurst, he's a very famous British artist, sculptor, and uh, and painter, and so forth. So he he jumped on the NFT bandwagon, and he said, I think he's going to create some large number of artworks that are connected to NFTs. So these are not digital artworks. I think to begin with, I think they're physical artworks that have an NFT tie-in. Have you seen this? But That requires a different infrastructure. Have you seen this this infrastructure developing? This actually makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, that's what I said, right? Like NFTs are just like a concept, a platform for people to innovate. Some people are gonna say, oh, we're gonna have a physical item represented with an NFT. Some people are gonna say, It's going to be pure NFT. Some uh, celebrities, like I was mentioning with Mike Tyson, are seeing them as experiences. So he basically what he sold for $300,000 was a weekend with him and he would train you. Like that's basically what he sold, right? That's not art, right? But that's like just experience. And so if tomorrow like Taylor Swift comes out and says, "Uh, I'm going to launch an NFT. And if you have my NFT, you get front row seats and all of my concerts and you can come backstage with me like what do you think that's worth that's worth a lot of money to a lot of people
0: right so and
1: and then once, yeah,
0: once but this but is second these are two different case studies that you use cases that you described the one with mike tyson is one weekend with mike tyson that's you know you don't need an NFT to sell that it's because that's not you cannot resell that that's one weekend with mike tyson you're not getting multiple weekends with mike tyson taylor swift that could be an NFT because that's that's a privilege, that is a recurring privilege, and there's value in buying that and exchanging that and, and optioning that even. Yep. So,
1: so yeah, and like Taylor Swift's thing could be even simpler than that. She could just say, hey, whatever songs I launch, people with my NFT get it five days before anybody else does. And like, it could be something as simple as that, but what's happening with the Mike Tyson NFT is that the picture, the NFT that they actually sold, will now be a memorabilia forever. That was my weekend with Mike Tyson and I have this to prove it. Like I own that experience, right? So there's gonna be all kinds of innovation. Some of it is gonna stick. Most of it is not gonna stick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I'm not an expert on NFTs. I just like to invest in the platforms that help people create and sell NFTs because whether they they like the experience or not, right? Like platforms are benefiting from that interest. Right.
0: In NFT. So, so, I mean, on that topic, I would say that if I were to, if I put on your hat, I would look for a platform that actually um, applies the NFT principle and facilitates doing this hybrid NFTs, the physical um, virtual combined NFTs for the art world, because the art world actually has a real problem, right? Fraud is rampant. So I think the art world should anchor itself in the blockchain infrastructure of the world with NFTs and everything so that the fraud can be zero. The art world, if they apply the blockchain principles, can get to a zero fraud solution. Mm -hmm. Given where we are today, given the, the fact that the infrastructure exists, the base layer infrastructure exists, but I think you need another couple of layers on top of that base layer to sure. make that possible. So I, if I were you, I would look for that solution because that solution is going to be big.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. You see, like, now your now you're, you know, ideas are churning in your head, and we, we can all imagine a use case for that. And there's a lot of hype here, right? But there are going to be a few use cases that stick, right? And we just need a few of them to stick. We don't right. need every single idea to work for this to be really transformative for for the entire world, really. And one of the one of the you you talk about like rights of artists. One of the really great things about this is you can enforce those rights within the NFTs. You can say every time you play this song, the artist gets paid a certain Uh amount. And then if this art piece gets sold again, the artist gets a cut of the new sale price. You can enforce all of that using an NFT, which is not possible today right? So, um, there's just so well, much... Well,
0: it's full of intermediaries. Just like you gave the example of New York Stock Exchange, it's full of intermediaries, full of bloat. The art world is full of bloat. And, and if you have the infrastructure to be able to to remove a lot of that inter- intermediary or make those intermediaries more productive somehow, uh, right now, though, it's very difficult for artists to reach collectors. I actually have an article that's... Uh, Maureen can share in the public chat, and you can take a look at it, that I published on my idea of how that world should play out anchored on blockchain, so
1: anyway. So that's what what keeps uh, us excited about this space, is that there's so much great innovation happening that a few of them is going to be totally transformational. Most of it is not going to work. That's just the truth, right? right? But just a few of them need to work for this to transform how we do things um, and how we do business.
0: Very cool. This is a fascinating conversation, Hamid. Thank you for this.